This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Hoist of Colors podcast, a victorious postgame podcast as East Carolina captures its second win of the season, a 28-3 decision over the Temple Owls, the first win for ECU over Temple since 1995, the first win for ECU over Temple since joining the American Athletic Conference, and yes, I know, I know that this was a shell of Temple's original roster heading into the year, but it's 2020. It's COVID-19 year. It is it is what it is. ECU was already screwed out of a win earlier this year. Actually, almost screwed out of two wins if you count Navy and Tulsa. So the Pirates deserved a break, and they got one on Saturday, and they took advantage, and they, they did what they should have done. They dominated the game 28-3. Quarterback Kamal Gray, I believe was his name, the walk-on fifth-string quarterback uh, for Tulane or Temple, which had no – Scholarship quarterbacks heading into the day after true freshman Matt Duncan was suspended for violating team rules per Temple, which put the Owls in a bind. They also had multiple other players out. But you know what? So did ECU. ECU was down four offensive tackles. They had to start a true freshman and Walt Stribling. At left tackle, they had to start Justin Chase, the NC State grad transfer in his first ever start at right tackle so it was a uh, it was a challenging day for both sides of course ECU probably had the advantage in personnel and I thought that they played how they should have played especially on the defensive side of the ball I mean this was a game where the Pirates needed to come out they needed to stop the run uh, they needed to limit the Temple offense and they did just that they uh, you look at the, the stat sheet at the end of the day Temple 140 rushing yards total three yards per rush uh, but no running back had more than 3.5 yards per carry. They were able to hit some runs with the quarterback. They put Brandon Mack, a receiver, in at quarterback for a series or two, and it took uh, the Pirates a few plays to get adjusted to that. Gray also had a scramble or two, which uh, you know kind of upped the numbers more than they really were. But uh, just 95 yards passing for Temple, much of that coming on a few big plays. Outside of that, ECU really did – Everything it wanted defensively, three points on the scoreboard at the end of the day, but the Pirates' defense gave up zero in reality as the only score came after a big return off a Holt Naylor's interception inside the ECU 20. The Pirate defense held him to a field goal from there, so really the defense pitched a shutout if you watch the game. And honestly, that's that's the type of performance they should have had. Uh, we can talk about the offense's inconsistency, which we will get to here in a little bit with your questions. we got a whole lot of them. Uh, but the special teams for ECU, at least in the return game, was a definite star of Saturday's game versus the Owls. Tyler Sneed with several big returns, especially uh, in the punt return game to start. He almost broke a couple there to set up the offense with some short fields. And then the star 95-yard kickoff return 
uh, to the house. The second year in a row for Tyler Sneed returning a kickoff to the house. And if you look back at ECU's history, returning kicks in explosive ways, before last year, it had been seven full seasons, seven years since the Pirates' last kick return for a touchdown, Lance Ray against App State in 2012. Tyler Sneed does it against USF last year and then against Temple this time around. And some great blocking by several players on that return, but also Keaton Mitchell getting downfield, uh, showing off his speed and getting in front of a guy. Did a great job of not hitting him in the back, but just got in front of him enough to uh, spring Tyler Sneed to finish off that return. So that was excellent to see. Um, you know, there were some troubles in the kicking game with Jake Verity. We got a question on that coming up at the first ever game in Jake Verity's career where he's missed multiple field goals in the same game. Uh, one of them was blocked and one of them was just pulled to the left. Uh, let's run through some more stats and then we will get to you guys. Got a lot of questions on hoist the colors, but the total offensive yards coming out of this game, uh, the pirates almost double up temple in total yards, 447 to 235 ECU uh, for as much as we talked about their offense struggling the Pirates still averaged 7.2 yards per play yes not many sustained drives but we have to remember Temple is the type of defense with their man coverage and their defensive style of play they give up a lot of big plays they don't allow as many as sustained drives they're known for giving up some big plays and ECU schemed to that and took advantage of that on Saturday inside Lincoln Financial Field so 7.2 yards per play that's a number you'll take more times than not. Temple only averaged 3.4 yards per play. They get 235 total yards of offense. Uh, only 182 passing yards for ECU. 60 of that coming on the touchdown pass to C.J. Johnson. 44 more of that coming on the touchdown pass to Tyler Sneed. So outside of those two plays, you really only had about 80 yards passing from Holton Aylers. Didn't see too much in the short and intermediate game today. Again, a lot of that is based off what Temple, do, or Temple does defensively. And so the Pirates took some more shots down the field, and they ran the ball at a high level. 265 yards rushing on 40 rushing attempts. That is a 6.6 yards per carry average. Uh, they also scored on the ground, of course, with Holton Aylers. One-yard rushing touchdown. He also took off on a 75-yard scamper, uh, which led to the one-yard touchdown on the quarterback sneak. And we actually you know, asked him what happened. Uh, post game with that touchdown run. Look, he, he, I don't know if he lost where he was on the field or if he was just trying to be fancy or what there, but Holton Aylers stepped out of bounds at the one, kind of tried to reach the ball across the pylon, and uh, Holton said that was the most embarrassing moment or one of the most embarrassing moments of his football career. He'll get that corrected going forward. Mike Houston kind of said, hey, you're 230 pounds. Why don't you just wrap up the football and go across the goal line there and, and punch it in and, and leave no doubt. I mean, it, it was just kind of a weird play, so I'm not sure what exactly happened there. If Holton kind of got lost on a long run uh, as far as where he was, if he was just trying to be fancy or what, but I don't expect that to happen again with Holton. Uh, but that was a career-long run for Holton Aylers. It was a designed quarterback draw. You know, looking at the replay initially, I, when I saw it live, I thought it was designed. And then I went back and watched the replay and it just seemed, I don't want to say off, but it didn't seem like the cleanest uh, execution in the world. But it almost looked like ECU sold the pass so much that it actually worked out in that it really fooled the Temple defense because nobody was in the middle of the field. Holton did a great job of making a, a guy or two miss and then outrunning uh, the rest of the guys to the 
end zone or to the one-yard line. So, uh, Holden said after the game, I like to carry the ball. I like those type of plays. Glad we called it. And uh, a few more design plays for Holton today in the running game, which was good to see. He pops a big one there. That's something we saw a lot early in his career. That's something we have not seen very much at all this year. And he said he wants to uh, continue to run the football. So, maybe this is the start. Well, I guess it's kind of late in the season for it to start. But uh, maybe we see more of this next week. At uh, against SMU inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, but it was good to see Holton Aylers, uh carry the football for a big explosive play like we know he's capable of doing. Uh, defensively today, the standout, in my opinion, was Bruce Bivens, the senior inside linebacker, had a phenomenal game. Uh, he was tied for a game-high 11 tackles, two tackles for a loss. He made a great interception towards the end on a play downfield. You know, pass coverage has not been Bruce's strength in the in the past, so it was good to see him play a ball downfield to make the pick. Uh, Xavier Smith also with nine tackles, two tackles for loss. No sacks today for ECU, but eight tackles for lost. Uh, also two interceptions and a fumble recovery by Elijah Morris, who, by the way, in case you uh, are not on social media, ECU football put out an awesome video after the game. Elijah Morris, the true freshman walk-on defensive tackle, will go on scholarship per the announcement of Mike Houston. So uh, awesome story for the Fayetteville, North Carolina kid. You know, 6'1", 285. The defensive tackle has just been a, a, a revelation for ECU's defensive front. They brought in so many scholarship guys, and Elijah's really been the guy that has emerged as that nose tackle in year one of Blake Carroll's defense. And he's going to be a stalwart for years to come, and he deserves that scholarship. You know, they had to work out some numbers. I'm not sure when exactly he will officially go on scholarship but he deserves the scholarship and he will get it and uh that's awesome to see so uh he was one of many up front that played a great game today i thought Ricky abreu uh played well i thought deontay johnson the freshman from virginia number 56 a big boy his first real college action he was getting in the backfield quite a bit and uh, i thought that was good to see also jason romero true freshman kareem stinson Xavier McIver. So we we saw five true freshman defensive linemen today. Uh, a sign of things to come in terms of the future of this young defense as they continue to get more and more playing time. So uh, great performance by the defense. You know, up and down day by the offense. Uh, but they did enough to win. And that's the most important thing for me in this game. 28-3, you break the Temple curse. We know how much Temple has plagued ECU over the years. And to finally get that monkey off your back, no matter what Temple team you're playing, I think is a huge deal. I think this is a huge mental hurdle for ECU. I said it after the South Florida game earlier this year. If you want to move up in the American Athletic Conference, if you want to make progress at some point, you've got to start putting these teams, not name UConn, behind you. ECU has now done this twice this year. They go on the road. They beat South Florida handily. They go on the road. They beat Temple handily like they should have. Uh, and they take care of business. And and in reality, you know, people can argue about the Navy game, you know, if ECU would have won with Holton Aylers playing, et cetera. But in reality, they they won the Tulsa game. See, you've gone on the road, and you've won three conference games in one year. When's the last time that happened? Uh, It's been a while, and and to me, that's real progress. I mean, yes, there has there been disappointing performances this year, especially the last few weeks, yes. But at the same time, we are seeing progress. We're seeing progress in the conference standings. Again, this is two league wins, which hasn't happened since 2017, and probably should be three league wins, which hasn't happened since 2015. And you got another chance at a marquee victory next week. I mean, Mike Houston, if you look at it on paper, even though the Tulsa game should have been that marquee victory, 
Coach Houston has yet to get that true signature win in year two at ECU. You know, they had four last year, but they were against pretty bad teams this year. Same type of deal. You get SMU at home next weekend. You should have beat them last year in Dallas or very well could have beat them last year in Dallas. Now you get another crack at them to close the season, at least as the schedule sits now. Another big opportunity for ECU next weekend on Senior Day. So we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Again, let's get to your questions on the other side. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsors. You're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's dive into your questions here on the HTC podcast, our post-game Temple wrap-up. Pirates win at 28-3 in Philly. Uh, Straw369, he's got our first question, one of many questions on the Hoist of Colors message boards after this one about why we did not see Mason Garcia. He asked, why do we never see Mason Garcia when we are always told we don't run Holton because they don't want to get him hurt? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll say I asked Coach Houston after the game, was there any thought of getting another quarterback in in the fourth quarter? You're up 28-3. to You know, I really would have liked to see Mason get in there, and a lot of people were calling for him when there was around 13 minutes to go. And I, I get it, you're up 28-3. to It makes sense on paper. But that series in particular, you started inside your old 10-yard line. You know, it's probably a little too early to put him in at this at that situation, given the field position. You know, if you make one mistake there on, on one play deep in your own territory, suddenly it's 28-10 and you got a ball game. So I don't mind them not putting him in there. Uh, and they ended up taking, you know, six, seven minutes off the, the clock with that drive. They got it around to midfield with a lot of running, flip field position. So I'm fine with that. But then the next series, I think they forced Temple into a three and out. Temple punts it back to ECU with around five, six minutes to go. Good field position for the Pirates. That series, when Aylers came back in, you're up 28 to three. I really was surprised. I thought that was the perfect opportunity to get Mason Garcia in the game, allow him to run the offense. Really, if he makes a mistake at that point, it doesn't it doesn't hurt you. I mean, the game is over. So at that point, you get him in the game and you let him run the offense. You know, Coach Houston did say they were going to put him in the next series, but Temple. I guess they wanted the game to get over with, so they took like five delay game penalties in a row, and the clock for some reason keeps running in that situation. So uh, Temple ran out of time. Coach Houston said he didn't want to call a timeout given everything Temple had gone through with the COVID situation. So I don't know. I mean, I personally, this is just my opinion, I'm not a coach. I would have liked to have seen Mason there in that five, six-minute mark. Uh, I don't really understand why they didn't put him in, but uh, that's not my job. Uh, my job is to talk about it, to answer questions about it. As far as your original question, you know, it has to be the right situation to play Mason. I thought today it was the right situation, but 
for whatever reason, ECU did not. So it is what it is. I mean, uh, we can't make that call uh, from a reporter standpoint. And, and we asked Coach Houston about it, and he gave his answer. And um, it is what it is. So next question, Pirate Treasure NC, kicking game issues. Verity keeps whiffing on these low kicks. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the kick did seem low. A lot of these block kicks have seemed low. And then it seemed like Verity tried to overcompensate on the next kick on the 35-yarder and almost got too much air on it and pulled it to the left. So, um, yeah, you never want to miss two kicks in a game. I mean, that's disappointing, especially for somebody as good as Jake Verity. I'm sure he's kicking himself trying to figure out what's going on. But the other thing I've noticed with the kicks is well, the field goals is the uh, the snapping isn't quite as crisp. And somebody pointed this out on Hoist the Colors earlier. You know, it, it doesn't seem as quick. It doesn't seem as accurate. So, that plays a role. The operation as a whole doesn't seem as crisp, and I don't know what exactly they have to do there to 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 fasten that up. But you know, you're talking about four out of five games now. You've had a block block kick. So at this point, it kind of you know I'm 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 assuming they've worked on it a lot. I mean, at this point, it kind of is what it is. Uh, with one game left, I don't know if you can fix it. You almost just have to deal with it and try to kick over it. So. That's, uh, again, I'm not a special teams expert, but that's just what I see on my end. Why did Ehlers run out of bounds so early? Um, or why did, why did Ehlers run out of bounds early? I mean, he didn't really say. I mean, we kind of talked about that earlier. He just said it was a very embarrassing moment. I mean, my assumption is he lost where he was on the field and kind of just stepped out of bounds and was trying to be, I guess, a little fancy sticking over the goal line. So that's something, again, I don't think we'll see that again. Uh, he also asked, Pirate Treasure also asked thoughts, opinions, analysis of our suspect passing game. Well, I thought, you know, today would have been a good day uh, for ECU's offense in a passing perspective to to have a big performance. Temple was without, I think, their top four guys in the secondary, or at least a number of guys. And, um, you know, there were some plays there to be made. They do play, again, a lot of man coverage. A lot of tight coverage, you know, without looking at the all-22, it's hard to know. Was there a lack of separation? It seemed like Holton was was hesitant at times throwing the ball. Was that due to lack of separation? Was he not seeing the field right? You know, the protection seemed pretty good. There was a sack Holton took where he has he had four or five seconds, and at that point he's just got to pull the trigger. There was a time where Holton tried to make a throw and stribbling the, the left tackle, the freshman, was beat, and Holton didn't have time to make the throw, so – Again, a combination of factors. I, I still think the biggest culprit is the offensive line because the offensive line has somewhat, in my opinion, just watching the games, has somewhat affected Holt Naylor's confidence. He doesn't seem as confident just dropping back in the pocket and letting it rip as we've seen him at times. I think that has affected him. That's affected his accuracy, his footwork, and um, I think that's had a trickle-down effect to the passing offense as a whole. And then You've also got some inconsistency at wide receiver. We've still seen a few drops. We've seen uh, C.J. Johnson be inconsistent this year, although he had a tremendous play today. So I think it has been a combination of things. I will say, and I wrote this in my VIP takeaways, I think at this point the passing game has been the most disappointing part of uh, the 2020 season for ECU. Uh, Pirate Treasure with a final question. Is Mason Garcia not showing enough in practice to actually come in in garbage time was Houston arguably thinking I don't trust our lead enough to put in the backup right now? I mean, that seems to be the the only explanation in the fourth quarter. Again, I understand the the uh, the one early in the fourth quarter. I would uh, I would not put him in in that situation, just given the field position 
and the time left, but the other one I would have put him in. You know, I do know that at this point Mason has a long ways to go. Anybody calling that says Mason should start over or starting over Holton Aylers doesn't know what they're talking about. But I do agree you have to put him in in those situations for him to grow. Uh, you know, if he comes in, he hands the ball off three times. I mean, that's better than nothing. Uh, I would like to see him come in and actually run the offense. But uh, but it is what it is. I don't know. It's just been a uh, – today was kind of a weird deal with that. But I don't want to make too much of it. You know, maybe there's something more that we don't know at this point. Um, but it was kind of odd to see him not come in at all, given the, the score in the game. All right, next set of questions is Berg Pirate. Uh, Berg asked, why does Holton Aylers still have issues with his mechanics after three years as a college quarterback? Uh, well, I touched on this earlier. I think, you know, there are, there are games where he looks really comfortable throwing the football. And then there are other games where he doesn't look as comfortable with his footwork and his throwing motion. And I think he did come into college with some, some bad habits throwing the ball, and he corrected those. But at times he does, I don't want to say relapse, I don't know what the word is, maybe uh, – he he goes back to those old habits when maybe he doesn't trust his uh his, his the players around him or just isn't as comfortable, and I think we've seen that some this year. I think with the offensive line issues and maybe not trusting some of his receivers as much because they're dropping some balls uh, as opposed to last year. I think all that plays a role, and um you know Holton has never been the most mechanically clean passer in the world. I mean that's just not who he is. You know he's a lefty. A lot of lefties have some weird. Uh, hitches in their their motion just naturally you know he's cleaned a lot of that up since his freshman year but he still does have some inconsistency uh, and that's just part of his game so you know as a junior I don't know how much at this point he can refine all of it I do think I do think getting more consistency around him will lead to more consistent production on the field Uh, he did miss a few throws today that he would like to have back but there were also some plays around him where guys didn't execute. So, again, I think it's a little bit of everything. Uh, Berg also asks, is Donnie Kirkpatrick under any pressure at all? He's talking to the uh, talking about the ECU's offensive coordinator. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think uh, I think naturally under some pressure, probably so. I know Donnie works his tail off. He probably puts more pressure on himself than anybody. I know there's been a lot of frustration with the offense this year. Um you know, as far as pressure from outside the program, I don't know. I mean, uh, he, he claims he doesn't really pay attention to all that. Maybe his wife's telling him some some social media remarks his way or whatever. But, you know, I, I think Donnie just kind of keeps his head down and does his job. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe some pressure just naturally given the expectations of the offense going into the year. We all expected the offense to kind of carry this team. And, in my opinion, their inconsistency has been a disappointment. Uh, I do think you, I do, you know, people talk about the offensive line as an excuse, but I do think it is a valid excuse. I think it's a valid reason why we've seen the inconsistencies we've had, we've seen. So, uh, you know, I think you have to take that into account. You know, other plays he could be calling better. Sure. Other players, the players could be, plays the players could be executing better. Absolutely. So again, a little bit of everything and, uh, just one of those deals that they're going to have to, uh, you know, figure out as we get through the, this last game and into the offseason. I do think you have to reevaluate some of the stuff you're doing offensively uh, long-term, especially if they keep having injuries on the offensive front. Uh, Berg Pirate, number three, will when will Bailey Malovic be back? Uh, I don't know. He was actually dressed out today. 
Uh, he was at the back of the huddle during pregame warmups. They showed a shot on TV. So if he was there and fine enough to be dressed out, I'm going to assume that it was a you know some type of uh, nagging or minor injury where they didn't feel comfortable playing him in the game. So if uh, if he was dressed out today, maybe he's got a shot at playing next week. You would hope so. But again, I thought Walter Stribling did well. You know, SMU's got a very blitz-happy defense if they're like last year, so that is a concern going into this game, but I don't think they're the type of defensive front that's just going to run over you like a like a Tulane or a Temple or Cincinnati. So uh, that is a positive, but hopefully next week uh, he, he can be back or at least contribute. All right, uh, ECU Pirates, uh, we got a good well, – I should say we got a good question about uh, – uh, we get a funny comment, I should say, from ECUSTOA. I'll just read it. He's being facetious here. Uh, hey, SI, I know you have a lot of questions to answer, a lot of questions to answer, but no one is really talking about this one. Could you ask why the freshman Mason Garcia isn't playing at all? Second question: Could you ask about why the backup quarterback isn't getting in the game? I hope you also check into why Holton is still in the game. Also, ask the coaches why they have the audacity to win the game like they did today. Thanks. Gonna hang up and listen. Well done. Well done. If I had a clapping sound uh, that I could input into this podcast, I would do it, but I'm too lazy to do it. It's been a long day, and I'm not going to do that. But I I just want you to know I appreciate your comment. And uh, I have been asked about Mason Garcia a lot, and I don't know what else to say other than I asked Coach Houston about it after the game. And um, it is what it is. I I can't control it. So uh, ECU Pirates backwards asks – uh, what was the most frustrating thing for you about the Temple game? Uh, well, the most frustrating thing for me about the Temple game is that it was delayed 50 minutes. And why was it delayed 50 minutes? You know, talking to some ECU people behind the scenes, it seems like uh, this was this whole girlfriend situation with the Temple football player was something that Temple coach Rod Carey and their staff knew about on Thursday or Friday. So why would you wait until the pregame 15 minutes before kickoff to bring it to everybody's attention? And it seemed like Temple was trying to get out of playing this game, given the quarterback situation that developed over the last day or two. And they knew they had no shot at winning this game without Matt Duncan, who they actually like his upside. They thought they had a shot at winning if Duncan played, but with the freshman walk-on, it probably wasn't going to happen. They were trying to get out of the game. Uh, that 50 minutes was definitely the most frustrating thing for me about the Temple game. As far as the play on the field, I mean, definitely ECU's inconsistent offense, uh, which has been kind of frustrating all year. Uh, the kicking game, again, you know, you have a, a reliable fifth-year kicker in Jake Verity. You don't expect him to miss or have issues on the first two kicks of the game. That was frustrating. Um, so, you know, there were frustrating things about today's game, but we also have to remember ECU won the game 28-3. If you go on the Hoisted Colors message board right now, it seems like ECU lost 28-3. And uh, ECU was a three-and-a-half point favorite entering today. It's not like they were favored by 30. And even once the quarterback news came out about Gray starting, I think the line got as high as six, maybe six-and-a-half. This isn't a situation where ECU goes on the road and consistently blows people out. So let's just be happy the Pirates took care of business and did what they needed to do. Was it the prettiest thing in the world? No, but the Pirates won a road football game over Temple by 25. Take it and move on. I don't I don't understand the constant bitching and moaning uh, by some fans after this game. I mean, if you're just doing this because you don't want Mike Houston's staff to succeed because you've already formed this opinion in your head that they won't win here, then uh, I guess 
you know, you have the right to do that, but I just don't see what good that does. Um, and again, I think we'll fair, you know, to the other side of that, we'll fairly know more with how they play against SMU. If they go out and lose by 30 to SMU next week, which is a much better team than Temple, then, uh, you lose the momentum of this game. But if you go out and win or play really well against SMU, then all of a sudden this game doesn't look like so much of a throwaway or fluke game. And this was a game ECU honestly deserved to catch a break or two on, given everything that's happened at Tulsa versus Navy, etc. All right, Jeep for Pirates. He asked, what is the status of Demetrius Mooney? Multiple coaches have said Rajay Harris and Keaton Mitchell are the future at running back for the Pirates. Is Demetrius Mooney relegated to backing them up? You know, we've answered the Demetrius Mooney question quite a bit. It's been a tough year for Demetrius. He he lost uh, someone close to him. He's had a foot infection. He's had uh, COVID protocols to deal with. You know, just my read on the situation is this. He has not had the consistent enough practice time to compete with Rajay and Keaton and Darius, who for the most part have been there, have been in practice, have done everything they've needed to do. Uh, for the majority of the season. And really, Rajay and Keaton have practiced all along, and outside of missing a few practices for being banged up, they have consistently been there, have not missed time since the season got go- got going. And they're the top two guys right now. And now you have Darius Penix coming back. You want to get him some carries as an upperclassman that is one of your leaders. So right now, for, for Demetrius Mooney and for Trace Christian, there's just not room and uh, Demetrius Mooney has been relegated at this point to special teams play. I think he's a team guy. I don't think he's going to be, you know, he might be frustrated naturally without, you know, after being, the, after being the team's leading rusher last year. All of a sudden he's not getting a single carry this year. I'm sure that's frustrating. But he seems like a type of guy who, who's patient, who's a team leader. Um, and it's just been a frustrating year for him off the field as well as on the field in terms of actual practice time. So, I think it's more – it's not anything he's doing wrong. I just think he's a victim of the circumstances, if that makes sense. Like, it's not like he's going out there and just practicing really poorly. I just think he hasn't been able to play as much due to his injuries and the uh, situation he's been dealing with. So, hopefully he can have a good off season and get back to where he was uh, going forward and be more of a factor in that running back room. All right. Jeep4 also asked another question here. He wants to know, uh, having the need to not risk injury to your starting quarterback as well as having the need to get valuable time for your other quarterbacks that are working hard in practice, why was the fourth quarter of today's game not the right opportunity to meet both of those needs? Again, another backup quarterback question. I understand asking about it. It's a valid question. Uh, I did think, you know, I don't want to dwell on this question too much. I did think one of the weird things was with with that series around five minutes left, okay, you run the ball twice. That's fine. But then on third down, up 28-3 to in the fourth quarter, they caught a draw with Holton Aylers in the game. And we've heard this talk about, hey, we need to keep Holton healthy because of the inexperienced quarterback behind him. That just does not – that just doesn't make much sense in that, hey, we want to we limit Holton Aylers' hits, but you're up 28-3 to with five minutes to go. That should have been Mason Garcia or another player running that quarterback draw if you don't want your quarterback to take a hit. So – Again, Jeep, not hating on your question. We've got a lot of those. I think it is a valid question, especially how you put it, how you phrase it. And, um, you know, we'll see. Maybe next time ECU's in that situation, which I doubt it'll be against SMU, we see Mason Garcia earlier. But tonight, or today, we did not. And it is what it is. I I, I don't know. It is what it is. I can only, uh, I can only move on and, and uh, go on to the next question. 
Uh, Purple Hook, our final question of this post-game podcast. Do you feel that with more experienced personnel, ECU's current offensive style of play will get us over 500 in league play on a regular basis in the coming years? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, I think this is the style ECU is going with under Mike Houston. I think they have improved in the running game significantly. Uh, dating back to last year. Now, the opposite of that is the passing game, you can make an argument, has has regressed. I think how much of that is specifically the inconsistency in terms of injuries at offensive tackle. I mean, if you look at the running game as a whole, yes, they all work together, but the offensive tackle more times than not is going to be your, your are going to be your best pass protectors, especially against the team's best pass rushers, and then your interior offensive line is critical to the run game. I think the interior offensive line has been able to stay healthy for much of this year. I think that's why we've seen the running game improve. I think the offensive tackle position is why we've seen the passing game drop off some. At the same time, I think, you know, Holton Aylers could be more consistent. The offensive play calling could play more to his strengths. I think the receivers could definitely be more consistent with the drops. I think it's just an entire situation where, for whatever reason, whether it's 2020, COVID, um, just the weirdness of this year, the the or the expectations coming in, the passing game has just not been to where uh, it needs to be. Now, if you could find a way to match this passing game with the running game that we're seeing now, I think this this offense could be legit. I think it could be very dangerous. I mean, what we're seeing out of the running game now, outside of the two lane game, you've had a stretch of five or of six games where the the running attack has been operating at a very high level. EC was able to run the ball for 200 yards on Cincinnati, which not a lot of teams have done in recent years. So uh, were they playing the pass more in the run? Yes, but it, you, you try to watch UCF run the ball on Cincinnati today, and they did not have a ton of success. So I think it's just one of those things where uh, ECU is trying to build it a certain way. It's taking time to get the running game to this point. Now how can you blend that passing attack and the upside of the passing attack with the running game. And um, and also, too, I mean, the defense has to be better and you have to start playing complementary football. I mean, the defense heading into this game was giving up 40 points a game and, you know, some of that is due to field position, uh, pick sixes, et cetera. But at the same time, the defense has not been good enough this year. And it's first year with Blake Carroll with a very young defense, and that's fine. It's going to take time. So what I'm saying is got to be patient. Uh, still, a lot of these young guys on offense uh, are playing uh, significant action for the first time, especially at running back, especially on the offensive line. And maybe as they continue to gel and get better, we see guys like Holton and C.J. Johnson play more consistently with better play around them being more consistent. So uh, to, to go back to your original question, yes, ECU can get over 500 in league play on a regular basis in the coming years. I mean, right now, technically speaking, and again, I know a lot of people get tired of this argument, but if they would have beaten Navy and they would have beaten Tulsa, uh, they would be four and three right now in AAC, and that would be over 500 going into the SMU game. But they're not, so that's something they'll have to prove in the years to come. All right, that is our question segment on tonight's podcast as we recap ECU and Temple. Again, would like to thank everybody for their questions it was good to recap an east carolina victory as the pirates improved to two and six on the year two and five in american athletic conference play temple drops to one and six overall one and six in aac play as the owls have only played conference games this season again ecu exercises those temple demons for the first time since entering the american 
They defeat the Owls. They snap a six-game losing streak to Temple. After losing 49-6 two years ago at Temple, they win 28-3 in 2020. So take it. Be happy, Pirate fans. You've got a victory to celebrate. Don't dwell on the negative too much. I know it's tempting after all the losing, but enjoy the victory, and we'll see what happens next week. ECU-SMU, a chance for the Pirates to close the season with the signature win over the Mustangs in Greenville. We'll preview that starting Sunday on hoistacolors.net and throughout the week. We'll also probably have a basketball preview podcast at some point next week as well as ECU gets ready to play its season. I'm hearing the trip to Florida is in very serious doubt, but the Pirates still will open their season soon on the hardwoods. We'll bring you that uh, and those details as soon as we hear them. Uh, for one final time, ECU wins at 28-3 over Temple. I'm Stephen Igo. You've been listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. We'll talk to you next time. relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.